good to see everybody in the house of the Lord. We're going to get started, and uh, let's just open with a word of prayer this morning. Jesus, we love you and we praise you. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy to us. We thank you for the opportunity to gather together in your house, Lord, to look into your word, and I'm praying, Lord, that something would, that would be said or done here today, Lord, would just allow each person to find a new access point to your presence so that we can know you better. Lord, we pray like Paul prayed in Philippians that I might know you in the power of your resurrection and the fellowship of your sufferings. More than anything, Lord, I just want to have a relationship with you. I love you. I praise you. I thank you again for this day. Bless the word now, I pray in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen, amen, amen. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. I want to talk to you today about keeping your cool when things get hot. Keeping your cool when things get hot. Uh, We are living in a hot season right now. You can just about read a newspaper, if you still can find one, or turn on the internet. And you can see all kinds of different stories about disgruntled employees, about a kidnap victim, about um, a shooting of some sort somewhere, someplace, um, road rage, drivers assaulting one another because they're so irritated by the way that the other person is driving. In fact, I read one time of a man who was ordered by a judge to attend an anger management class. And uh, when he showed up, he showed up drunk. And it so infuriated the workshop leader that the workshop leader physically assaulted him. Anger. How to keep your cool when things get hot. Anger can sometimes be difficult to manage even for the experts. How many have ever just been angry? How many are angry right now? Uh Uh-oh. I'm going to read several scriptures here. You can follow them on the screen. Proverbs 14, 29. He that is slow to wrath is of great understanding, but he that is hasty of spirit exalteth folly. He that is hasty in spirit exalteth folly. You make yourself look foolish if you don't allow yourself to be slow to wrath. Proverbs 15.1 A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. A soft answer turns away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. Proverbs 16.32 Have you noticed a lot of these are Proverbs? Solomon was letting us know some secrets here. 16.32 says, He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. You can be a strong warrior, but if you're quick to anger, you're nothing. But he that is slow. And he that ruleth his spirit is better than he that takes a city. Pretty powerful words from the word of the Lord. Proverbs 19.11 The discretion of a man deferreth his anger, and it is his glory to pass over a transgression. Verse 19 of the same chapter, A man of great wrath shall suffer punishment, 
for if you deliver him, yet thou must do it again. In other words, you're constantly having to deal with the issue. And then the last scripture here for now, Proverbs 29, verse 8, it says, Scornful men bring a city into a snare, but wise men turn away wrath. Wise men, say wise men, turn away wrath. But turning away from anger is not a normal response today. In fact, now this is probably a 10-year-old stat, so I'm just going to, just off the cuff, add a few percentage points to this, and I think you'll agree with me, but about 10 years ago, USA Today did a survey that revealed that 75% of Americans believe that angry behavior has increased in places like airports and highways. Let me add 15 to 20% to that. And the old, an old stat, an even older stat than that, was in 1997, there were only 66 incidents of air rage. In 99, there was 534. And I can't imagine what the number is today. Uh, a human development professor at Cornell University, he believes that there has been a major shift in society's attitude toward anger over the last 30 years or so. He writes this. He says, There is a general breakdown of social conventions, manners, and social control. This gives a validation or a permission to be aggressive. Kids used to be guided by the social convention that said, Keep the lid on. Today they are guided more in the direction of taking the lid off. We're, we're being taught how to be angry and everything around us is trying to teach us or excuse our anger a steady diet of pop psychology laced with a few out of context scriptures has led many to believe certain things that just really aren't true the first thing and this is the core or the foundation of where people usually get angry and that is simply this we believe that we have certain rights. The problem is, is we don't have rights other than the rights that the Lord gives us. Now, I know in America we wrote a document that said we have rights. And, and I agree with that, that document. And I believe on a political, natural level we have rights. But you don't have a right it's not your right that you don't face tribulation because he promised that we would. In this world, you will have tribulations. It's not your right not to have them. When you surrender yourself to Jesus, you surrender your rights, you surrender your boundaries, you surrender your agendas, you surrender everything that is about you, and so the only right that you have is to trust in the Lord with all your might. Lean not to your own understanding. And because we believe that we have certain rights, if someone violates those rights, we have the right to feel angry. We justify the emotion because of the right that we think has been offended. 
And then we go on to say, if I do not express that anger, I am causing irreparable harm to both myself and the person who has wronged me. Therefore, it's not only my right, but it is my responsibility to express my anger to anyone I choose. And too many of us have lived by that principle or lived by that, that not necessarily principle, but, but that, by that thought, by that practice. And so we get angry justifying our anger because somebody did something to us and now we're just reciprocating. And so the question today is, and, and the, the, the title of my lesson was keeping cool when things get hot. When, when you're on the verge of getting angry, how do you not get angry? How do you stay cool in the midst of that? What do we do with our anger because whether or not you realize it you will get angry from time to time and so first of all let me give you a definition of anger anger is a natural physical and emotional reaction to perceived injustice it's natural I've gotten only it's it's natural. And it's not only natural because we think it's right. Anger isn't necessarily right, but it is natural. Okay? But the fact that we get angry is proof that we have been designed in the image of God. Everybody say, thank you, Lord. When you get angry... You have to understand that you're getting angry because there's a little bit of God image in you. He created us in His image, and anger is a part of God's nature. In fact, 455 times in the Old Testament, the word angry is found, and out of those 455 times, 375 have a direct reference to the anger of God. And anger is not just an Old Testament concept. On two different occasions that we know of, Jesus directed his anger toward the money changers in the temple and toward the hypocritical uh, Pharisees. In fact, uh, Josephus who is not a biblical writer, but he is a Jewish historian, he wrote this, that Jesus tore through the temple like a madman. So if you get angry, just know that you're just fulfilling the image that you were created in. God's anger is a natural response to His holiness. It's a natural response to his justice. And it's a natural response to his love. Now, those of you that are sitting here thinking, is Pastor really saying it's okay for me to get angry? Hold on. I said we need to keep our cool when things get hot. But anger is natural. God is holy, so he reacts in anger and violence towards sin. He hates it. Because he is just, he hates injustice. In fact, he went so far to say as, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And because God is love, 
he condemns any action that is unloving. Okay, so what does God's anger have to do with ours? I'm not sure if I gave the scripture, but Genesis 127. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And since we are created in his image, and even though our image was marred by our downfall or Adam and Eve's sin, it was not erased. You still carry the fingerprints of God. You are still created in the image of God of the creator and we still uh on the inside especially bear the things of the lord so even though we are fallen we still have concern from time to time from justice or injustice the problem isn't that we will get angry the problem is what do we do with the anger when it comes because remember i said that it's a natural response to perceived injustice okay it's now i get angry from time to time. Everybody gets angry from time to time. It's a natural response. So what do we have to do to identify how to deal with it? First of all, anger is a matter of perception. It's a matter of perception. Everybody say perception. Everybody say perception is different for everybody. I wish you could all perceive things just like I do because then you'd love me more. But because we perceive things differently, although our anger is real and it's natural and it's in the image of God, it may not always be justified. Because oftentimes our anger is based on incomplete information. For instance, Let's say that you get angry at the guy that's just cut you off on the road. <clears throat> what would, and you're ready just to just blast him, hit the horn, talk to him a little bit, even though he may not hear you. But what would happen if you heard, learned that that guy that cut you off had the baby girl in the back that was rushing to the hospital? You see, you, you get in the second part of the story. Would your anger dissipate? I know mine would fairly quickly. Because he wasn't just being a jerk cutting me off. He was trying to get his loved one to the hospital because there was an emergency. So if you don't have both sides of the story, our natural response is to perceived injustice. Or let's say you get mad at your husband for not doing something around the house that he promised he would do while you were out. But then you realize that he got sick and took Tylenol flu and it knocked him out. Hopefully there'd be a little bit of mercy. Not that that's happened in our house, by the way. That's just an illustration. I always do what I'm told. <coughs> so sometimes, if not oftentimes, our anger is based on inaccurate information, and so our anger is a matter of our perception. And sometimes we don't have all the facts, and we can jump to conclusions. One of the ways that we keep our control when things get hot is we wait to hear both sides of any story. And it's better to hear both sides of any story with both sides present. 
because it is something that is innate in humanity that children learn how to play off their parents. And if you don't have all parties in the same room, you're getting two or three different stories, and then as a parent, you're having to figure out which one you're going to punish and which one you're going to embrace. Or you're going to get mad at your spouse because you had told that kid no and they told that kid yes because they went behind the dad's back or the mom's back to the other spouse and said, but, but I really need to have it. Do you see what I'm saying? That anger, we got to get both sides of the story. There were times when the boys are growing up where one of us would say one thing and then, and then when we got, got in a room, we would look at them and say, well, what did your mother tell you? No, then why did you ask me? And if they were really honest, they would say, because you'd say yes. You see what I'm saying? You have to, and there could have been friction between Trish and I. There had been tri- friction or anger between Trish and I because I, she said no and I said yes. And then when we got together, we realized I was getting angry or she was getting angry at incomplete or inaccurate information because we didn't have all sides of the story that were in front of us. And so the next point is anger always results in a response. It always results in a response. You are either going to let it go or not let it go. It's there, but there's going to be a response in an anger situation. So here's a question for you. Is love wrong? No. Love is always right. It's just that the object of the love may be the wrong thing. If you're talking about loving God, loving your spouse, loving your children, of course love is not wrong. But if you're talking about loving money or someone else's spouse or, or pornography, then it is, it's, it's wrong, then love is wrong. But love itself is always right. But the object of the love could make it wrong. So the question then goes on to say, is anger wrong? It can be same the said as the same as love. Anger's not wrong. It's the object of your anger, or it depends on how we respond to our anger. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 says, Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. In other words, Paul understood something. He said, Yeah, you're going to get angry. You're going to be angry. And I, and I sometimes read it even in verse 26. Be ye angry and sin not. Be ye angry is almost a command. Because how many ever want to be around somebody that has no passion for injustice? They just, eh, it's okay. No worry. Drives you nuts, doesn't it? It makes you angry. And see, we in this state especially have this passive-aggressive thing that goes on, and sometimes we just want to say, just say it like it is, and let me deal with the anger, because we get more angry when it's not said it like it's supposed to. But anger's not wrong, but the response with anger is wrong. In fact, there is nowhere in the Bible that says that you should lust and sin not. 
or that you should lie and sin not. It's not in the Bible. Lusting and lying are always wrong. Period. But Paul is recognizing to the church in Ephesus that he himself even had a few struggles with his temper and that natural responses cannot be eliminated altogether. Our anger, you can't eliminate anger. It's going to rise somewhere. You're going to get angry about something. Paul said in Colossians 3.8, he said this, But now you also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth, and then there was a list of others that I didn't add. But you have to understand, we've got to control our anger when things get hot so that we don't overheat. And so Paul says, put it off, lay it aside. And uh, because I believe in this passage, there's, when it comes to the concept of anger, there's, there's a couple of different responses here that Paul distinguishes. The first word there is wrath. So put off all anger, wrath, which wrath can be translated rage. Something doesn't go right, we blow up. We say things. We do things. Those of us that are Christian do things creatively so we don't really cuss, but we Christian cuss. We don't say the words, but the attitude behind the other words are just still the same. There's rage there. In fact, there's some people that have been known to uh, experience what is called blind rage which results in violence and oftentimes even death. Rage is a learned reaction to frustration and in which you behave in ways that you would rather not. If you read Romans chapter 7, you'll see Paul has this dialogue within himself that he uses the word, it's warring in me. There's a constant fight in me. Can I tell you that rage and wrath and, and, and anger, all of that is a battle that goes on and we have to, in a moment, be able to filter through us what is right anger and what is wrong anger, what is, what is something that is good so that we don't go into a blind rage. In fact, according to uh, some reports or some studies, some research that severe anger is classified as a form of insanity. You are insane whenever you are not in control of your behavior. Therefore, when you're, going, get, you're angry and you're out of control, you are temporarily at least insane. How many have ever gone insane? We use it lightly, but we have. Solomon said of a blind rage, he said, A quick-tempered man acts foolishly, and a man of evil devises hatred. We all have reacted angrily to something. I, I, I've been very transparent the last couple of weeks. I don't like drive throughs I get angry. Why? Because I have inaccurate information. Because in my mind, I should be able to put my order, and by the time I get around the building, they should have my order ready. Especially Canes. How many have ever gone to Canes? 
All they do is chicken and fries. Why am I waiting? There's nothing special about it. There's not a special order. It's just chicken. And yet we wait all the time. We've all reacted angrily. And we've all done things that we wish we wouldn't have done. A study from Barner Research Group revealed that more than 60% of Americans recall a time when their anger adversely impacted someone or something that they highly valued, such as a job or a relationship. We've said something that we wish we could almost immediately take back because we've said it out of anger. The second part of that is we sometimes turn anger into malice. You see, wrath is rage and it is expressed anger. It is the thing that we just release. And uh, malice is turning anger inward. Malice is underground, and, but it's still very real. It is a desire to see others suffer because they've ticked you off. Someone filled with malice will take every opportunity to harm his or her offender through either action or speech. Outward, they may be skillfully managing their anger, but deep down they are seething. Just waiting for the right time to pounce, to retaliate. Suppressed anger is as deadly as expressed anger. Let me say that again. Suppressed anger is as deadly as expressed anger. But I would challenge you today to express your anger to Him. Because you can blow up, or He already knows what's in your heart anyhow. So you might as well yell at Him. He's a big God. You'll do more damage by expressing that anger because it spills out on somebody else. And oftentimes you'll say something or do something that you don't want to do. Or you'll put it on the inside and it'll eat away at you. Why not just express it, get it out of your system, but get it out of your system at a place or at a person that can handle it. You see, we like the scripture in 1 Peter 5 that says, cast all your cares on him for he cares for you. We like that. We like unloading our burdens to him because he cares for us. But do you understand that anger management is a care? He cares how you handle anger. He cares how I handle anger because he knows that we all get angry. And so we need to, and, and, and I'll be honest with you, I don't know why I'm teaching this today, but it's what the Lord impressed me this week to do because I don't know of anybody that's really angry right now. But on the inside, it's eating up. Or you've expressed it or you want to express it, but you don't want to blast that person out of the water. Take it to the Lord. There's one thing that I learned very early in my life, and that is simply this. God's a pretty big God. And we say that, but then we try to hide from Him what we're really feeling. Can I just give you the practical concept here? 
if my wife and I are having our discussions. And she's getting angry because I never get angry. If you believe that. But if one of us are getting angry and in our discussion we can say something that is hurtful to the other. We have done damage to one another and to our relationship that now is going to take months to repair where if we would just hold our mouth shut, go to another room and tell God. And tell God, the woman that you gave me is driving me nuts. Because once that anger is expressed then God will take that anger and say, okay, now let's talk about you. And you walk away from that encounter with God and you walk back into your relationship with my spouse and all of a sudden the anger has been removed and I now recognize the blessing that God gave me by giving me her. And we don't have six months of repair. Now can I tell you that my wife and I aren't masters of this? There have been times where things have been said and it's, we've had to work through and rebuild trust over and over again. We've been married some 31 years now and so there's 31 years of miscommunication. So far, thankfully, not excommunication, but mixed communication. Do you understand what I'm saying? We all go through this. I know this applies to all of us. And if you're not married, you've got a friend. And if you don't have a friend, you've got yourself. So you're having that battle between yourself. Expressed and suppressed anger both need to be released from us and you release it to the Lord and it's going to be much better. I read an article many, many years ago, 1994 in fact, uh, by a man by the name of Christopher Burns um, and he wrote this article called Wars, Lethal Leftovers, Threaten Europeans. And this was what he wrote. He said, the bombs of World War II are still killing in America or in Europe. This is in 1994. They turn up and sometimes blow up at construction sites, in fishing nets, or on beaches 50 years after the guns have fallen silent. Unexploded bombs become more dangerous with time. With the corrosion inside, the weapon becomes unstable and the detonator can be exposed. That's, that, that was written in 1994, some 50 years after, 40 years after World War II. There were still bombs going off because they were buried somewhere. But something would happen and it would move on the detonator. And like an unexploded bomb, unresolved anger is a corrosive that eats away and slowly destroys us emotionally, physically, and even spiritually. If we don't release that anger to God, it can eventually cause us to erupt. <clears throat> because eventually our suppressed anger eats away at our self-restraint to the point that even a seemingly harmless spark, a simple interruption or a casual word or even just a, a look can cause us to blow cause us to explode because anger that is internalized can be just as destructive as anger that is vented 
unless it's done in the right atmosphere. And the right atmosphere is always in the presence of God. I, I, I like this. Solomon was so wise. Proverbs 30, 33. Surely the churning of milk bringeth forth butter, and the wringing of the nose bringeth forth blood. So the forcing of wrath bringeth forth strife. The churning of milk bringeth forth blood. The wringing of the, punching somebody in the nose is what that's saying. When you punch somebody in the nose, it's going to bring forth blood. And so the forcing of wrath bringeth forth strife. And then in Proverbs 27, 4, wrath is cruel and anger is outrageous, but who is able to stand before envy? Envy is even worse than it all, and that's another lesson. But wrath and anger, wrath is cruel, anger is outrageous. It's outrageous to be angry. Why? Because none of us really have a good reason to ever get angry. I shouldn't say it that way. Because there are some probably good reasons to get angry. But we never, there's no anger that shouldn't be released to God. We've got things going on in the world today. Human trafficking, abuse, etc., etc. All that, and, and it makes you angry. But here's the problem with that. It's even holy anger sometimes. But here's the problem with that anger is if we don't turn it over to God, there's nothing that we can do about it except corrode us. How many have ever just realized that you've been really grouchy for a day or two? You, ever just, you don't even really know why. You just all of a sudden were grouchy. Well, a lot of times the reason why we are grouchy is because something that was done and we didn't even realize it sparked an anger in us or an injustice and we just have failed to classify it as anger. And we push it down and we push it aside and then all of a sudden your kids are driving you crazy and the dogs you want to put through the wall and then you stub your toe and then you step on a Lego. And then all of a sudden, you are the grouchiest person in the whole world. Why? Because something happened that you put down to the bottom and suppressed, an injustice that you had perceived. And while it didn't make you irate, it planted a seed of anger in you that then when everything else happens, it compiles on it and it builds it up and then all of a sudden you've got to express it. I am generally not a grouchy person. But there have been times in my life with, with Trish, in fact, she'll even out and out say, why are you so grouchy today? And my usual response is, well, I'm not. She oh yeah, you are. And usually, I don't even realize that I've gotten grouchy. And a lot of times, because I'm clueless oftentimes, I don't even realize what caused that seed to be planted. But I need to take that time to say, Lord, whatever that was, it's yours. Because when things get really hot, 
I can't afford to lose my cool. Because there's too much resting on my answer to an injustice. So how do we handle anger? First of all, call an emotional timeout. Call an emotional timeout. Proverbs 14, 29 says this, He that is slow to wrath, we read this earlier, but uh, is of great understanding. But he that is hasty of spirit exalteth folly. You want to be somebody of great understanding? Close your mouth. Take a time out. Proverbs 16.32, we read it earlier as well, but he that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh the city. Think of that. Proverbs 19.11, the discretion of a man deferreth his anger, and it is, it is his glory to pass over a transgression. Sometimes, the only way to avoid a nuclear explosion is to remove yourself from the detonator. The detonator is your source of frustration. It's what's making it happen right now. And you've got to take a step back. You may need to go to another room. You may need to tell the person on the phone, I'll call you back in a few minutes. You may need to ask your boss for a moment to step aside and to collect your thoughts. Take an emotional time out because anger is always built on an emotional level. And, and, and you've heard me say that we shouldn't operate on emotion. We should operate on knowledge and wisdom. Uh, emotions are just as real. We're created in the image of God. God was emotional. How do I know? He got so angry that he let it rain for 40 days and 40 nights and let the depths. He got so angry that he sent fire down on Sodom and Gomorrah. There was some anger that God had. And we've got the same thing in us but the difference is, is God ultimately is in control of everything. And we can't allow ourselves to take down Sodom and Gomorrah. And we can't allow ourselves to kill everybody around us uh, emotionally. And I'm not talking physically. I'm not talking murder. That should be a given. But what I'm talking about is we shouldn't destroy somebody's character because they've ticked you off. We shouldn't go behind somebody's back because they've irritated you in some way. Because you, your offense... The person that has offended you may not even know that they offended you. And you are getting angry because that person doesn't seem to be responding to you because they don't even realize that something that they did has irritated you. So take a time out. Number two there, analyze the cause of your anger. Analyze the cause. The purpose of an emotional time out is not to avoid the anger. It's to give you time to analyze the anger. And during this time, you can ask yourself two questions. Number one, what is the source of my anger? Because remember, anger is a natural response to a perceived injustice. What's causing my anger? My anger. 
Are you angry because the other person has violated one of your supposed rights? Have they wronged another person? Have they failed to act responsibly? Now, if you're late for dinner, that's one thing. But if you learn that your best friend is being cheated on by their spouse, that's an entire another thing. There's different levels that should trigger our anger. Because, but we have to remember that what's causing it. And then the second question is, do I have all the information? Do I have all the information? Anger is based on perceived injustice. Perceived injustice. We need to have all of the information before we express our anger. Proverbs 18.13 says, He who gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame to him. Before you say anything, make sure you've got all of the information that's possible. Before you get irritated and express your anger, be sure that you have all of the facts that you can possibly have. Because if you speak out before you hear it all, the Bible tells us, Solomon tells us, it is folly and shame. Solomon may have been writing that in light of his father David. Remember Nathan came to David and started listing off all the things David, what would you do if a man did this, 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 and this? I'd, get, I'd take care of him. I'd be so mad. Nathan says, David, you are the man. I have a feeling that Solomon realized, you know, if David would have not let go of his anger, maybe he wouldn't have faced as much shame when Nathan said, you're the man. See, we can go off. And then the Spirit says, mm-mm. You're the man. You're the one. You're the one that shouldn't be angry. Number three, overlook minor offenses. Every day, every day, we sustain injuries from other people. Write it down every day somebody's going to do something that irritates you. Unreturned phone calls, overlooked birthdays, late appointments, all of these may be irritating to a degree, but they rarely should require major. Now, if you're a husband forgetting a birthday from a spouse, that's a different story. You better remember that. That goes from minor to major offense. But Solomon encourages us to overlook everyday slights. We've read it a couple of times, but a man's discretion makes him slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an in, a transgression. Can, can I just tell you this? It's easier to overlook somebody's injustice when we realize how much he has overlooked our injustice. There's a saying that I read years ago. I've got it written down in my 
book where I've written all kinds of sayings. It says this, love is not blind. How many have ever heard that? Love's blind. Love is not blind, but because love is love, it is willing to see less. Let me say that again. Love isn't blind. It sees everything, but because it sees everything, it's able to love more. In other words, I can look at all of your faults and your failures and if I'm coming to you out of love, it's not that I'm blind to your faults or your failures. It's I see them, which causes me to love you even more. God loves us more when he sees all of our shortcomings. God sees us. You want to know how I know? Because there's only one time in Scripture that God says that heaven throws a party. And it's when the sinner comes to repentance. When the one that is away from him, the one that's, that, that has all of its problems, it says that when, when that person repents, there's a party that takes all of heaven rejoices. The angels shout. It, it's a great joy that day when some... Why? Because the love of God is seeing the change in the person because he's overlooked all of the junk and brought him in. Our problem is we're created in his image, but we don't operate in his image. Why? Because we think we have rights. Now, don't misunderstand me. There are some times that lines have to be drawn. But I'm talking about looking at people and seeing people through the eyes of the Lord that says, I'm going to love you even though you don't deserve it. In fact, I can list ten ways that you don't deserve my love, but I'm going to love you anyhow. When you do that, you're operating in the, in the love of the Lord and in the way that God wants you to do. The same applies to anger. Do you really think that we don't give God, not even perceived, but just real reasons to get angry with us every day? The Bible says it this way, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. You, get him, you give him the reason to be angry with you because you don't do that which is good. Now think about that, because almost every moment of every day we have the opportunity to do good. Walking by the person in the parking lot, walking by the person in the grocery store, do you have an opportunity to do something good for that person, and yet you don't do it? To you it's sin. And God has every right to get angry with us. But because he knows how to control his anger, and he is slow to anger, and he overlooks our transgressions. Very quickly, I know I just gave you a, a warning about the danger of burying anger, but there's a vast difference in denying it and burying it and choosing to overlook it. For instance, if I stub my toe or I get a paper cut, what is it that keeps me running from running to the emergency room and racking up a $2,000 bill? It's the assessment of the seriousness of the injury. And that operates the same with our anger. Number four, I've got two quick ones left and we're almost done with our time, but number four is simply this. Learn to forgive major offenses. God has provided a surgical procedure to heal major wounds in life, and it's called forgiveness. Barna Research Group revealed that 50% of Americans struggle with forgiving somebody. 
Because, first of all, true forgiveness admits that you have been wronged, whether that person realizes it or not. Joseph didn't sweep his brother's injustice under the rug. He said, you meant it for evil. God used it for good. And so you can't forgive somebody who you aren't first willing to blame. True forgiveness acknowledges the offender's obligation to you. And offense creates obligation. The word translated forgive in Scripture is commonly used to describe the release of someone from a financial obligation. And so true forgiveness is the release of your offender from his obligation or her obligation to you. Ephesians 4.32 says it this way, And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Forgiveness is the obligation of the forgiven. Can I say that again? Forgiveness is the obligation of the forgiven. How many here have been forgiven? How many have made their way to Calvary and received the forgiveness of the Lord? That means you've been forgiven. That means it's your obligation to forgive. And when we forgive, we set the the prisoner free. The Bible says the truth shall set you free. When we forgive, we are setting the prisoner free. And when the prisoner is set free, we discover that the prisoner was me. When we release forgiveness, we're freeing ourselves from the anger. And then last, don't associate with angry people. Just don't associate with them. There's an old story of Mickey Mantle and Billy Martin, two Yankees. And Mickey Mantle had a friend who owned land that they wanted to hunt on. And the friend asked uh, Mickey, in order to hunt there, I've got this blind mule that I need to put down and I don't have the strength to do it. So I'm going to ask that you would do that for me. And so Mickey fooled Billy Martin. He said, that guy's not going to let us hunt here, so I'm so mad, I'm going to shoot his mule. And when he did, he heard two more shots come back and saw Billy Martin with his rifle. We'll show him. I shot two of his cows. Don't associate with angry people. You'll do things that you wouldn't normally do. You'll say things that you normally wouldn't say. You'll act in ways that you normally wouldn't act. Because when you're around people uh, that are angry... You're going to become angry. So don't associate yourself with angry people. Associate yourself with people of joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness. And when you associate yourself with them, it will spill over to you. Proverbs 22, 24, and 25. Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man thou shalt not go lest you learn his ways and get a snare to thy soul. It's important to keep our cool when things get hot. Again, I don't know why I taught on this today, but maybe you've had been dealing with some anger this week. Maybe things that you just, maybe you've been angry with God. How many have ever been angry with God? How many tried to hide it from Him? 
It's dumb. He already knows we're mad. I've had some shouting matches with God. Now, in every one of those shouting matches, I was wrong. And he showed it to me because he's right and faithful and good. But he understood my heart. He understood what I was dealing with. He understood what was happening. He already knew I was mad with him. But I let him know it. And then he fixed it as only he can. I invite you to stand. You know, if you think that you can go through life not ever getting angry with a friend or a spouse, you are going to be sorely disappointed. And if we can't do that on a human level, I promise you, if you think you're going to go through life never getting mad at God, you'll be sorely disappointed. Well, God, I've done this, and now you've allowed this to happen. God, I've prayed, I've fasted, I've given, I've been faithful, and yet you've still allowed this to take place. Misperceived or perceived injustice, even between him and I. I don't deserve that. Well, who said you don't deserve it? Well, pastor, I'm, I'm doing everything I know is right. So you're doing good in everything, huh? No, I, I, sometimes I do some things wrong. Then you've got a reason. I don't have a right. The, the, the blind man in John chapter 9, it wasn't his right to see. In fact, the Bible says he was born blind so that Jesus would get the glory. Some of the stuff we deal, the injustice that we perceive that we're dealing with is oftentimes the Lord trying to use you in a situation so that he receives the glory. And yet we fight against that. God, that's not fair. Well, what's fair? I'll tell you what's fair, his will. If it be your will. You see, we're taught within our anger and our perceived injustice, we're taught either explicitly or implicitly that when we pray, He answers and gives us what we need. And if you have just enough faith, it's going to be the outcome that we want it to be. But why do we not follow the steps of Jesus who prayed, not my will, but thy will be done. If anybody had the right to be angry, it was the one that was crucified for somebody else's sins. If anybody had the right to be angry, it was the one that was spit on, whose beard was plucked, who had a crown of thorns beat into his brow, who had his back scourged and beat upon, who was mocked and ridiculed. If anybody had the right to be angry, and yet from the cross, forgive them for they don't know what they do. 
And then the book of Hebrews says that it was joy for him to endure the cross. What gives us the right to be angry? What gets us the right to be mad? Have we been crucified for him? Have we taken on another sin? No. So let's release our anger today to him. Jesus, we thank you for your word today. Lord, I pray that something that was said would wrestle and settle into somebody's spirit today. Help us, Lord Jesus, to walk. Even though anger is real and true, help us to make sure that we place anger in the right spot, which is right in your hands. And Lord, for those here today that may be angry with you, I'm asking you, Lord, to touch them and help them to realize that it's okay to even be angry with you because you understand and you know their heart and their spirit. Now we pray, Lord, as we go into our second service today, that as we begin to worship, Lord, I'm asking you that as the praise goes up, every wall comes down. I'm asking you, Lord, that as every worship is lifted to the heavenlies, that the heavenlies come to the earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done today on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you. We'll be starting our second service here in just a few minutes.